0: Going to see a victory. This song was the song that I clung to at the beginning of the pandemic. No matter what was going to happen, I knew that we were going to see a victory. What if the lyrics of that song wasn't, I'm going to see a victory, but I hope to see a victory? For all of us, that would lose something, wouldn't it? It would seem like it was going to be less sure that a victory was going to come. But I think it's because we've changed the way we see the meaning of the word hope. And when we say hope, we've cheapened it and made it less than. And so today we're gonna to be talking about the power of hope so that we could sing, I hope to see a victory and stay in just as much confidence as we can say, I'm gonna see a victory. Let me pray for us. Dear heavenly father, I thank you for the people in this room, for the people online, and for the people of the greater church here in Baltimore, for the ways that you have brought us together to work to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to really grab hold to the meaning of the word hope, the meaning that you have for us and that we would walk out of here confident and knowing and say, we hope to see a victory and we will stand on that. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You can be seated. alluded to this here we use the word hope a lot we say I hope the Orioles go to the World Series said that earlier and heard some laughter from behind I hope it doesn't rain I hope we can be outside as a church and we throw it around a lot in in these kind of words and it starts to lose meaning but when we're talking about the power of hope we're not talking about wishful thinking hope isn't just a feeling It is something tangible that we can stand on and hold on to. I think one of the limitations of the English language is a lot of times we use just one word to mean many different things. We've seen it in the meaning of the word love. I love this hamburger, I also love my mom, and those are two different loves. There's a Hebrew word that I love, and I may be mispronouncing it, so forgive me, but kava. And it means to wait, to look for, to hope, to expect. And I'm going to summarize that meaning for this word of hope that it says, confident expectation. It's something that we can stand firm on as a foundation and hold on to. There was a, I want to tell a story of about three years ago, um, I adopted my cat. And for all of you non-cat lovers, don't check out right now. Um, But three years ago, I had, almost exactly to to the week, I got her as a very tiny little kitten. If we were at the um, Digital Harbor and we had the projector, I'd be showing you a picture of her, but you can just imagine the cuteness. But I got her in the middle of probably one of the hardest weeks of my life. I had been out in California on a work trip and got a call, one of those calls in the middle of the night. My dad had been admitted to ICU. He was unconscious, intubated, and in kidney failure, and no one knew why. So it was a week of trying to wrap up my work obligations, find a flight back to Baltimore, get to my parents out in Carroll County, and sitting at the hospital, waiting and wondering what was gonna happen. And in the middle of this week, my sister-in-law brought me in the parking lot of the hospital a four and five week old kitten and said, you wanted to adopt a cat, right? And I did, probably just not that particular week. Um, but as I brought her home, she was this tiny little five-week-old kitten who had a huge, and still does, have a huge personality, and she brought a smile to my face, and she brought laughter, and as I tried to think about a name for her as that week wound down, I realized that what she reminded me of is that no matter what the hardness and uncertainty that I was facing at that hospital throughout that week, that there was still going to be joy and smiles and laughter. She reminded me of the hope that I have. And so I named her Tikvah, which is another variation of that same Hebrew word. It's a word for hope. And I also, as I said, it was confident expectation. It is active. It is something that we are not passive in, but we are actively expecting. The same word is used here in Isaiah um, chapter 40 the verse many of you may be aware of. For those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Some translations use wait instead of hope. But in either case, when we read this verse, we do not question whether or not we will renew our strength. We are promised this image of soaring and running and not growing faint. When our hope is placed in the Lord, there is no question that he is going to come through. That our circumstances are not going to be dictated by our own feelings or our own physical limitations, but instead by what he can do, are all-powerful. So what are you standing in confident expectation for? We see... A lot of times we can put confident expectation on a number of different things, but I want to turn us to where Jesus started his ministry, who he offered hope to at the very beginning of his start of his earthly ministry. And he read from this passage in Isaiah, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners. And then he concludes, this is fulfilled in me. Notice who Jesus calls out for that hope. He came for the poor, for the brokenhearted, for the captives, for the imprisoned. He called for those who are on the margins, and they were the first people that he said he was here for, that he brought hope for, he brought freedom for, he brought healing for, that is who Jesus came for first. These are the people that society can often dismiss and can be overlooked, but these are the people who get to truly experience what it means to hope and to see that fruition. All too often, a lot of us with privilege can put hope in our intelligence, in our education, in our bank accounts, in our connections, but what we're doing is shortchanging ourselves and shortchanging what hope can be. We are missing out. It is when we recognize that we are poor in spirit, that we are mourning for those who have sinned, for our own sin. That is when we can cling to those same promises that Jesus gave when he quoted from the prophecy from Isaiah. So we come to today's focus text, and it's a verse that probably many of you have heard many times: Romans 8:28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And I'll be honest, when I read this verse, my instinct, or I, I won't put it on you, but I'll just say my instinct is sometimes to paint a rosy picture about how things are gonna turn out. That job that rejected me, it's gonna new ones gonna come better and with more money, more prestige. The fender bender that I was just in is gonna get me more insurance money so I can get a bigger and better car. That guy who didn't wanna go on a second date, turns out I'm gonna meet an even better guy the next day. Yet the flaw in all of those thinking and all of those outcomes is it's focused just on me. And sometimes when I'm probably a little bit closer to where God wants me to be, I'll take this verse and I'll go and I'll see when I'm in those really hard times of sickness and struggle and suffering, but I want it all just to end, and I want it to be done. But yet, people are still sick. Many of us have said goodbye to people too soon. We have unfulfilled dreams, and so where does this verse stand in the midst of all of that? We wonder, why is what we're hoping for not coming to fruition? And even in those moments when our goal is not that selfish me-focused goal, but where it is in true, honest love and a want to see an end of pain and suffering, we can lose hope, and we can lose the hope that Paul is actually talking about here. Paul has spent the letter to the Romans up until this point teaching the basics of the gospel, talking about how we are not righteous on our own that we are sinners and we are in desperate need of a savior. And because of what Jesus did, came to earth, where he died in his resurrection, we have salvation. And he now comes in this part of Romans to coming to the promises of God and the life that we are promised. And he says here, in this is verse um, 18 in same chapter, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul wasn't minimizing the sufferings that we face. I know that we each have stories of suffering and sadness and sickness and things that are not as God intended. And Paul is saying that those our sufferings are real. But in comparison to those reality, the glory of God is so much greater. And that is the hope and where our focus should be. As we work to reframe our use of the word hope as this verb, as this wishful thinking verb, I challenge us instead to think of it as a noun, to think of it as something that is concrete, that we can hold on, and both that we can exist no matter where our current circumstances are, that we look beyond what is right in front of us and we look instead to the heavens as to what is intended. And as we think about hope as a noun, as something that we can stand on and be firm in, I want us to think about three things that hope can do. Hope trusts. Hope moves us to a place of action because we can trust in it. When we say that we hope the Orioles win the World Series, we don't go out and create t-shirts saying that. When we say it, hope it doesn't rain, we still carry our umbrella and take our raincoat. That's not hope. Hope calls for action. We just sold my parents' home um, back on Friday, we finally closed. They built that house over 40 years ago, a single family home out in the country. Um, And they'd been married eight years at that point and had no children. Um, And they didn't know whether or not they were going to be having children and they were just starting the adoption process. I did arrive about two years after that process started, and eventually that home was a place for three children who grew up there, where we added to that family and three grandchildren have played and grown up. The good and the bad that happened in that house was beyond anything my parents could have imagined when they built that house in hope for the family that would come. We are called at times to step forward into things that may not make sense and are doing so standing in the hope of what God will do. But here's the caution and where we can get ourselves into trouble with this verse. We can paint a rosy picture of the outcome that we want to see. Remember, when Paul wrote this, he was a man who had been imprisoned, beaten, ostracized, threatened, and eventually was killed. And yet he is the same person who says, all things work for the good of those who love him and according, called according to his purpose. What was he thinking? I painted a rosy picture of what happened in that house and the hope of my parents building a family there. There was no promise of kids, and the story of how each of us were adopted and joined that family is a story of, has a story of God written on each of them and is for another time. And I'm not sure that the story that has ended and how we had to sell that home and the ways things have unfolded in the past few years are exactly what they hoped for. And as I was thinking about the home and saying goodbye to that, I came back, there's a penny in the sidewalk that my parents put when they were doing construction with the year. And I was looking at that penny and it says, in God we trust. What an appropriate sentiment for why, what my parents were doing 40 plus years ago and how we each are walking forward, trusting, hoping, hope and trust. We're looking beyond what our current circumstances is and we are making a step forward when we don't know what the next steps are. What we need to remember at these moments are temporary. And the promise of hope that we have is everlasting. Hope doesn't just trust. Hope transforms. Um, in Romans in chapter 6, verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul has been teaching, as I said, throughout this letter of recognition of our sin and that we can recognize our need for a Savior and the gift that comes from accepting that. And here, He says, just two chapters earlier from the verse that we're in, that we are both dead and alive. Hope has that same power to move us from a state of despair and sorrow and suffering to a place of confidence, to a place of seeing God despite our circumstances and seeing his presence. When I say that, I don't mean that things are going to magically change. I know all of us have stories of stories that we have been in for a long time and that haven't changed. But what I'm saying is that he can transform us in the midst of the circumstances that may not change. These verses that were just ahead, um, verses 18 through 22, and I read 18 and 22, I'm just going to read this because it gives this picture of what it means to both transform and to my final point transports. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from the bond, from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation waits in eager expectation. Creation confidently expects. Creation hopes for God to be revealed. Those are the verses that Paul was saying right before he comes to this verse about all things working for his good. Hope transforms us into that glory. And more importantly, it doesn't just transform us. It has the power to transport us. Our citizenship is not here on earth, as we've said many times here at Grace City. Our citizenship is in heaven. The reality of our circumstances, the reality of this world is not how God intended. So hope doesn't just transform us from dead to alive or transform our perspective, it transports us back to our home, our home in heaven. I believe that God has imprinted in our hearts a recognition and a longing for that home. We recognize so clearly, and we may not have words in there, and it may be those prayers that are groanings that this is not what God intended. This past year, we have seen and experienced so many situations, so many things that is not as God intended. And there are so many things in each of our lives that we could point to and say, this is not what he intended. And we long, and that, when we recognize that, it can lead us to a state of hopelessness. When we focus too much on the circumstance and not putting our hope in God. Those who are on the margins are often the farthest from what God intended. But I'm going to remind us as we move from hopelessness to a hope that transports these words that I read earlier The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up to the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captive and release darkness for the prisoners. That is how Jesus began his ministry. Those, that is what hope is. And that is what we cling to when the circumstances don't line up. When we place our hope in Christ and God's promises, we are transported to that kingdom. We pray the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Here on earth, here in Baltimore, here in our homes, Your kingdom come. And we are called to do that work that Jesus said was fulfilled in him. Good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, freedom to the captives, darkness for the prisoners. We are called to that. That is the hope that we direct people to. That is the hope that we cling to. So they close and I ask the worship team to come up, I return to this question for those of you who watch the Friday Quicks. When we read Romans 8, 28, I asked you, what good are you hoping for? And what good is it that God intends? We stop sometimes at just that part, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can't forget that last part of that verse because his purpose is to see his kingdom come here on earth and we have the privilege of getting to join in on that. My prayer as we close is for each of us as individuals, as a church, that we don't walk away in here with holding on to hope as wishful thinking. I pray that we don't stay focused on our current circumstances and stay in a state of hopelessness or feeling that God has let us down. Instead, I pray that every single one of us recognizes and grabs hold of the hope that is promised here, and that as we read this familiar verse, that it comes alive in a new way to us, and we recognize the true promise and the promise that comes that we are called to his purpose, and he is still working all things out. Amen.